And let me remind you that your offering will carry Jesus to others. That's what the colt did. Your offering is going to help take the gospel to the lost, those that are still setting in darkness. Thank you, church, for allowing me and my wife, Regina, to be able to, to be here. Um, you know, what a blessing uh, for us to have the privilege of being with you and the missionaries here at your Faith Promise Missions Conference, the wonderful accommodations, the delicious meals, the countless gestures of kindness shown to us have truly have not been taken for granted. May I also commend you for your faithful attendance. You've been coming, you've paid attention, uh, and all of you have been a huge blessing to Regina and myself. I, um, I know what time it is, and I understand how difficult it is to be at church at a time like this. Uh, I, uh, I know about people that sleep in church. I've preached for a long time. Uh, you know, they did a survey. And they said if you took every person that slept in church and laid them end to end on the chairs or the pews, that they would be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> so, so if somebody stretches out and leans their head in your lap, just move over and let them sleep. Don't bother them. But uh, it's been a joy to be able to be here. I honestly, I've enjoyed so much meeting our missionary. I, I am, will be a richer Christian because I got to meet the Dinsmore family. And I am so thankful now. I, you're the only missionary I know in Belize. And uh, I pray one day we would have the joy of being able to visit you. But I just thank God for what we've learned from you. And uh, I was thinking, you know, I know it's been long, but this is the last one. So we're going to be done. When we're done, we'll be done. But uh, I heard about the man and his wife, Regina and I, will celebrate our 50th anniversary soon with our kids. But I heard about a man and his wife were celebrating their 70th anniversary. 70 years. And uh, they had a great celebration. I mean, they had a big party. Have you ever hosted something like that where people came, you had lots of food, lots of family, and it was great for the first eight or six, or, you know, eight or ten hours. But finally it ended. And they, you know, finally the cars were leaving. The last of the taillights on the cars were leaving. And finally they were left alone. They were sitting on the porch. They had a swing that they were sitting in. And it was just that tranquil, still moment that they were just relishing all that they had enjoyed all day. And the wife turned to her husband, who was hard of hearing, and said to her husband, Babe, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And he looked back at her and said, I'm really tired of you too. <laughs> you know, some of you got that, I'm really proud and tired of you too. And I hope that tonight, uh, when you go home, you will um, you'll look back. It reminds me of several years ago, some young children from Kenya were brought over from Africa to visit the United States. They were in Colorado Springs and were taken up to the beautiful Rocky Mountains, which we share with our Canadian friends.
And uh, for the first time, they saw snow. They played and they frolicked in the snow until it got late and finally they had to leave. They loaded up the bus, put all the kids on there, and about an hour or so, one of the leaders noticed that one of the boys had a wet spot on the front of his pants. Jumping to the wrong conclusion, he assumed that the boy had accidentally wet himself. But he couldn't have been more mistaken. The little boy explained to his counselor that he had been having so much fun, he just wanted to take some of it home with him. So he put a snowball in his pocket. Pastor, there's some events that I call snowball in your pocket days. These are the kind of days, these are the kind of meetings you want to put in your pocket and take home with you, but you can't. They're going to melt. They'll be gone. But for just a little while, we can enjoy this service. And I promise you that um, this meeting for Regina and I has been a snowball in your pocket meeting. And thank you. Turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, please. Pastor did a wonderful job in collecting the Faith Promise cards. I told him, <laughs> I, I don't know when I've been in more of an excited uh, collection of Faith Promise cards in a meeting than I was this morning. I, I, uh, I was ready to, to rededicate my life and join this church and fill out a Faith Promise card. It was just a wonderful experience. But I hope that if you're still praying and asking the Lord, what would he have you to do that maybe... This afternoon, this message might prompt you to that action. Luke 19 and verse 29. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage in Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you and the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied. Round yet never man sat, loosing, and bring him thither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, and when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had been seen, saying, Blessed be the King, that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And, and he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. During the Civil War of the United States, President Abraham Lincoln would often attend a church there not far from the White House. 
Accompanied by an aide, he would slip in from a side door, trying to do so unnoticed. And when the service would end, he would also slip out, trying to miss the crowd. One morning, as they left the service, the aide asked the president what he had thought about the sermon. He said to the aide, The sermon was grammatically accurate and well-delivered, but the president continued, The preacher failed miserably. Taken back because the president wasn't normally critical of the preacher. The aide asked him, said, well, why would you say such a thing, Mr. President? The president responded and said, because the pastor did not demand of us something great. There are two familiar places in the New Testament that reminds every Christian that we're called to do something great. The first is the great commandment. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, he was asked, what is the great commandment? He responded, we're to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and our mind and our strength, and we're to love thy neighbors ourselves." He said, on this commandment hangs all the law and the prophets. After his crucifixion and resurrection, preceding his ascension, Christ gave to the church and the apostles the Great Commission. This week we know that that's the marching orders of the church, the Great Commission. And that's been the purpose of our meeting over the last several days. And this afternoon, I'd like to introduce this message with this thought that the Great Commission depends upon three things. First of all, the message that must be preached. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You might write this down. The gospel means good news. But it's only good news if it gets there on time. The Great Commission demands upon us and depends upon a message to be preached. Secondly, we not only see that it's the message to preach, but... Secondly, men and women to share it. In John 15, Jesus said, You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Your theme is very clear. There should be no question in our minds or our hearts what our pastor has rallied us here to do this week. To take the rope. To grab the rope. We need... To understand that to do something great with the Great Commission demands the message to preach, the men and women to share it, and money to pay for it. In 2 Corinthians 9 it says, I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And every man as, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye all, having all 
sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I so respect your pastor in helping you understand that if you haven't filled out that card, do it prayerfully. Make sure that God has showed you and then commit to that by faith and you'll never regret it. It's during this time that we recognize the importance of, of sharing the gospel and in doing that, um, our text presents to us a strange statement. Notice those words, the Lord hath need of him. Now, honestly, to me, it's strange that the word Lord and need are in the same sentence. Does that not seem strange to you? I'm talking about a God that's omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And right here in the scripture, it says that the Lord has a need. It says the Lord hath need of him. But I think a careful look at scripture will show us that the Lord had many needs, Pastor. I think a careful examination of God's word, you'll discover that Jesus needed water at a wedding. He needed loaves and fish from a little boy. He needed a coin to pay his taxes from a fish. He needed a boat for a pulpit from Peter. I was reading this morning and saw again that he needed a room for the last supper that he would have with his disciples. He needed Mary's womb to come here and he needed Joseph's tomb to leave here. But here we discover that he needs a donkey. From our text this afternoon, I want us to understand that God desires from us something great. Whether you're a child or an adult, whether you're a husband or a wife, whether you're a single parent, or you're just trying to serve God and wait on whoever it is God has you, I want you to remember tonight that God desires something great from us. Notice, first of all, the great request. Bethphage was located on the southeast side of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from Jerusalem, where in just seven days Jesus would be crucified. Of course, Bethany is the place where Jesus often visited, and it's where his friends Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived. It's, it's best known for where Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. I was talking to the pastor recently and told him Regina and I were there in February. And today, um, Bethany has been renamed by the Arabs in the name of that town now in the 21st century is al Lazaria which means the place of Lazarus. 
You know, when God does a miracle, even the unsaved notice it. And there is a mark there of what Jesus did in John chapter 11 with Lazarus. And in Luke 19, it says, And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Bethphage means, maybe you could write it in your margin next to that word Bethphage. It means the house of unripe figs. Tonight, as we finish up this conference, the seed has been sown for five days. And I submit to you, Pastor, I believe with all of my heart that Grace Baptist Church is a place of unripe fruit. The seeds have been planted. The work has been done. The, the ground has been broken. And I believe God is about to do something incredibly great. Not only with the faith promise that's come, but as you prepare for the harvest. Remember, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing the sheaves with him. Now tonight, I suppose the thing that I want to draw your attention most is God is calling every one of us to do something great. Some of you may have felt pretty comfortable in your chair thinking, well, I'm, I'm not a missionary. I'm, I'm not like Brother Dinsmore or Brother Adams or my pastor. No, but you're equally responsible. And God is calling us, just as he did that day, to do something great. Now, what was so great? He asked someone to give their coat to him. That was a pretty big deal. But he was a colt. He had never ridden, no one had ever ridden him before. But because it was a colt, the potential and the promise of that colt being offered was great. You never know what, what the potential is of the people that are seated in an audience like this. They would farm with him perhaps in the future, maybe plow with him. Brother Dinsmore, as you've experienced, he would provide transportation for them. I don't know. I had a few experiences on the farm. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't become a pet, as well as your milk cow did, or animals do sometimes on a farm. But I believe that you may be young or old this, this, this afternoon as a Christian, but for you, this may be the first time you have ever given to faith promise. And you may say it under your breath already, he is asking a lot for us to give not only a tithe, but to give an offering above our tithe. He's asking a lot. Well, Jesus was asking something great. You know, I have said, and I'll say it again at this moment, that your tithe belongs to God. And your tithe proves you're honest. 
but your offering proves your love. He was asking something great. And this was not the first great request that God had ever made. A little study in your Old Testament, you'll realize he asked Abraham to offer up his son, Isaac. I think the greatest request of heaven was when God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to save us from our sin. So we've seen the great request. Notice secondly, the great responsibility. It says, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. We've seen the great request, but what is our great responsibility? Our responsibility is that God has called us to take the gospel to the lost. That's our responsibility. And God is not quick making great requests. God has called us to love others and, and to tell them of the gospel. He says in 2 Corinthians if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, God has given us a great request, and he's also made a great responsibility for all of us. My friend, Dr. Keene told me when he first went to Mongolia, he thought that they were the dirtiest, stinkingest, most immoral people he had ever seen. He said he told God, God, I don't like these people. As a matter of fact, God, I don't think I can love these people, Lord. But he said God spoke to his heart and said, yes, Charles, I know. But can I love them through you? It's a great request. It's a great responsibility. He's still calling us to preach the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. And our responsibility is taking the gospel to a lost world, to a people we don't know and we may not like. But remember, the gospel is good news only if it gets there on time. Now notice thirdly, the great response. And they brought him to Jesus. And they cast their garments upon the cold and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty here, but, you know, God knew who the owner was. Did he not? He knew who owned that colt. And he also knew he was able to respond to the need. Now, this may surprise you, but 
God will never ask of us something that he has not already given or is going to provide. It's called faith promise. God's not going to ask you to give something that he hasn't already given you or it's already on the way. Isn't that exciting? That's what God does. And, and God needed that donkey to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. Jesus soon would be crucified in just a few days. And really at this point, if you want to see the true definition of a living sacrifice, it was Jesus that got on the coat and rode into Jerusalem knowing he was going to the cross. At this point, Jesus was our living sacrifice. Something else I've noticed is I've noticed that not many today are surrendering their lives to go to the mission field. I've noticed it. I know in the last days the Bible says the love of many shall wax cold. I can remember in the early days of our church, it was amazing. We have about 15 different missionaries and families and preachers that surrendered to go to the field and to serve in full-time Christian service. But most of that happened in the first 20 years of our ministry. I'm not saying we haven't had more afterwards, and certainly we've had some. But I've noticed that not many today are surrendering their lives to go to the mission field. Now, I'm not known for profundity. I'm really more of a simple preacher. But can I give you a reason why I think not many today are surrendering their lives to go to the mission field? I think it could be because like this colt, we're tied up. We're tied up. And if God is speaking to your heart this afternoon, it's not accidental. No doubt the owners needed this colt to plow but God needed him for a parade. The lad with this lunch was willing, and this afternoon God is making a great request from each of us. I heard about a little boy. His sister was very sick. Matter of fact, it was in the day they didn't have the modern medicine as we do today. And she needed a blood transfusion. She, she wouldn't live. And the doctor told the parents we need somebody that the blood would match. And they tested and they believed that her little brother's blood would match. And so the mother approached the little boy and said to her son, your sister's dying. She needs a blood transfusion. Would you be willing to give your blood for your sister? The little boy was shocked. He said, what? You want me to give my blood for my sister? She said, yes. He said, you, mean, you want me to take my blood and give it to her so she can live? The mother said, yes. He said, 
Are you sure that's what you want? The little guy with a question in his eye, the mother said, yes, we, if you don't, your sister will die. He said, okay. They laid him on a gurney next to his sister and they put the needle in his arm and the hose they trapezed over across into her arm and the life-giving blood began to flow and was transfused into her body. And the doctor smiled and a few minutes the color had come back into the little girl says, she's going to be fine. She's going to do okay. And the mother noticed in their celebration that she looked down at her son and the son had a tear in his eye. And she said, son, are you hurting? He said, no, ma'am. But, 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 you're, but you're crying. There's a tear in your eye. Are you, are you in pain? Are you afraid? He says, no, ma'am. But he says, when am I going to die? She said, what? He said, when am I supposed to die? And then she realized he gave his blood thinking that it meant he had to die to do it. Now you say, he was just a kid, but he was willing. Would we be willing to loose our heart? Would we be willing to loose our hands, our treasures, for the Lord to use? Andrew Murray said in his book, Absolute Surrender, Lord, would you make me willing to be willing? There was a great request, a great responsibility. There was a great response. Notice the great return. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. Now when this colt was released, others saw it, and they got involved. And that's always exciting in the church. Now, I respect exactly what your pastor said, that, um, you know, what you did was between you and the Lord. But, you know, just taking a pen and a card and filling out a card in the service was a testimony today to whoever was seated next to you. When others saw it, they got involved, they got their coats. Somebody gave a colt, but others cast their garments down in front and they laid them on the colt and, and they began to celebrate. And they cast their coats before the Lord. Now I know, I, I, I know and understand what the Bible says about not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing. But I have an opinion on that and I don't believe that that's talking of about giving and encouraging others to give. I don't think we should ever give to make ourselves look better than someone else. But when the widow gave her might, 
It was Jesus that pointed it out and said, she's given more than all of you. She became an example. When Mary poured out the, the spice and the oil on the feet of Jesus, he recognized her. And here's, here's my opinion. When you're a part of this, you see the great return was that your gift may encourage someone else to do something for God. When you start having testimonies, I hope you'll do this, Pastor. I hope in the next year you'll start talking about faith promise and say, some of you, some of you recently, in, on November the 5th, you signed a card. Let's hear what God has done for you. How has God provided your faith promise? And like they did here, there would be, there'll be a celebration among the people. I, um, I believe some say you shouldn't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. I think that's only for piano players. <laughs> I think what you're giving and what you're doing will motivate others. And I hope you won't quit. What happened to the cold after that day? Pastor, again, give me some liberty because I can't figure out what happened to it. Would you allow me to give you my opinion? It doesn't tell us here, but I believe the one that gave it got it back. That's what I think. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with it, shall be measured to you again. Isn't that just like God? When you give it to him, he gives it back. Don't you know that man was proud that he owned the colt that was used for Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we ought to be proud. I'm just using it in a way to say that we're only human. And aren't you glad that when God could take your offering and use it to help the Dinsmores or to help another missionary somewhere? And as you give your offering, the Bible says you're going to get it back. God's going to prosper you. And it, it says so clearly in his word that God will make all grace abound towards you. That's what God does. Can I just simply say you can't outgive God? You can't do it. I hope that you'll take the time and track it and watch how God provides. I have, Regina and I, started out in, in the ministry and we right in the very beginning said uh, it's not going to affect our faith promise we're going to continue being involved in faith promise and you know we've watched God provided every time one of the things that we have said as we have gone wherever we go we want to be givers not takers and I'm telling you you simply can't outgive God a little boy and his mother were in the grocery store Kind of like that store down the street. I forgot what it's called. It's that big grocery store. Super store. We were in there the other day and it reminded me of this. A little boy and his mother were walking in there and they had bulk food. And there was a big table there that had candy just piled up on the table. And as the woman was walking by with her son, she looked over and there working on one of the, sh the shelves was a man she recognized. And they had gone to school together. He was now the manager. 
He turned and looked and saw the woman and they recognized each other and they spoke and they were just glad to see each other. And he's married and now she's married with a boy and they talked and and he looked at the little boy and he said, you know, there's this big table of candy. He said, son, would you like to have some candy? And the little boy kind of smiled and looked at his mother. His mother said, sure, you can have some. And the the manager said, get you a handful. The boy didn't do it. He said, it's okay, just reach over there and get you a handful. But he didn't do it. The mother was a little embarrassed because the boy wasn't responding. It seemed almost disrespectful. And she said, son, it's okay. Go ahead and get you a handful of candy. He wouldn't do it. Finally, the manager reached over with his giant hands and picked up a handful of candy, took his shirt and pulled it up and filled his shirt up with candy. And then he jostled his hair and went back to work and the mother and the boy walked down the aisle. The boy was smiling and the mother said, son, why didn't you take that candy when he asked you to? He looked with a twinkle in his eye at his mother and said, because I knew his hand was bigger than mine. (laughs) How many of you know that God's hand is bigger than yours? Listen, you can't outgive God. And let me remind you that your offering will carry Jesus to others. That's what the colt did. Your offering is going to help take the gospel to the lost. Those that are still setting in darkness. Well, we see the great request, the great responsibility, the great response, the great return, the great rejoicing is next. It says, and the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I hope that the rejoicing in the spirit of this meeting today doesn't grow silent. It's been a great day. I tell you, my heart has been so stirred. I loved watching your pastor love you. I loved pastoring. I have to say, sometimes I miss it because I loved it. I didn't stop pastoring because I got tired of it. I loved the sheep. Matter of fact, as a shepherd, some people said I smelled like a sheep. I love the sheep. And here we find the people rejoicing. Saying, blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let me give you some thoughts. There'll be great rejoicing in heaven, number one, because Jesus is on the throne. One day, that's going to happen. I have, I've had at least three people come up to me in this meeting and say, so, what do you think about Trump? <laughs> what do you think about the trumpet sounding? You think we're close to when Jesus is coming? Or what do you think about Israel? And I said, all of those factors tell me to lift up my head because my redemption is drawing nigh. I believe he's coming. And I, I, I am excited because... The Bible tells us that Jesus is going to be on the throne. And the Bible says that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. 
no more pain for the former things are passed away. It says, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Isn't that going to be a great time? Jesus is on the throne. Number two, Satan and sin have been destroyed. In Revelation 20, it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That one that is doing all he can to take sinners to hell with him. You took the rope. And souls have been saved. Not only has Satan and sin been destroyed, but souls will have been saved. And it says that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. And I thank God for that promise. Souls have been saved. And finally, you got to be a part of it. We, we had a part in all of it. Again, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So as we close... I want you to see the great reward. In eternity, we'll look back and rejoice that we had the privilege of giving so that others might be saved. And our great reward will be, as your pastor knows, will be crowns. And those crowns will be our reward because we get to cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus. Charles Hodge said this. The scriptures teach that the happiness or blessedness of believers in a future life will be greater or less in proportion to the service of Christ in this life. Those who love little do little and those who do little will enjoy less. Some of you are thinking about a cloud with a harp or a mansion now, I know all of those things are spoken, but let me, other than the cloud and the harp, <laughs> let, let me say to you that I think the most wonderful thing that we will have is because we cared about the very thing that took Jesus out of heaven to save sinners. Some unknown source penned these words, they're sobering. It says, when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way with me. How I blocked him here and checked him there and did not yield my will. Shall I see the grief in my Savior's eyes, although he loves me still? Yes, he'd have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace while my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths that I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. You have made a commitment. You have cast your vote. Some are still about to do that. Could I challenge you tonight as we get ready to go home? I pray that we would not fail to hear his voice as he asks of us to do something great. First of all, in closing, loose your coat.
for Jesus to use. I don't know what it is. It's whatever we would be holding on to and say, Lord, anything but this. Loose your coat. Untie your life, your finances, your family, even your future. And by faith in God's grace, let me challenge you. Give the greatest faith promise offering that you've ever given. Loose your coat. Why? Because the Lord hath need of him. The song says it well. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my love, my God, I pour at thy feet. It's treasure store. Doing something great. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never been saved. Greatest thing you could ever do is to give your heart to Jesus. In a crowd like this, it's not likely. But I will not close this last message without saying examine your heart. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, please, tonight, the greatest thing you could do is to bow the knee. To confess your sin to Jesus. Call upon Him as your Savior, believing that He died and that He was buried and that He rose again. And claim that promise that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Loose your coat. The Lord hath need of him. Pastor. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.